I have good news this morning. God is better than you have ever dreamed or hoped for. Sometimes we're a little bit like Bilbo was toward Gandalf. We have this suspicion that God is here to rob us rather than to help us. Sometimes we think God is here to, rather than to bless, to withhold, or that he comes to judge and punish rather than love and forgive. We all wrestle with those questions and thoughts toward God, especially in times of trouble and difficulty and pain and loss. But the good news is that God is so much better than our thoughts of him. And that's what we want to look at this morning. Let, let us pray. O oh Lord, my God, you called me from the sleep of nothingness. Merely because in your tremendous love, you want to make good and beautiful beings. You've called me by my name in my mother's womb. You have given me breath and light and movement and walked with me every moment of my existence. I am amazed, Lord God of the universe, that you attend to me and more cherish me. in the silence of this place of worship, just take a moment to behold God beholding you and smiling. Have you ever had the opportunity to meet someone that you admired? Uh, maybe you admired their accomplishments or you admired their teaching or writing. And then when you met them, it just wasn't quite the same. They were less than their message or less than their accomplishment. Unlike someone like Mother Teresa who... On her way to the airport one time, there were crowds lining the streets. And her, she remarked to her driver, well, there must be someone famous coming to the airport. And the driver said, yes, there is, you. <laughs> but in her humility and in her understanding of God's goodness, she saw herself correctly. God's goodness overwhelmed her own self-image. One of the early church fathers, the earliest of church fathers, Origen, said, Whatever be the knowledge which we are able to obtain of God, either by perception or reflection, we must of necessity believe that he is by many degrees far better than what we can perceive him to be. 
So from the very beginning of the church, serious Christians understood that God is always better than any conception I can have of him, any idea I can have of him. He's always better. So we want to look at some ways in which God's goodness manifests itself. First is God's goodness is comprehensive. James, one of the earliest letters in the New Testament, written to Hebrew Christians who'd been dispersed all over the place out of oppression and persecution. Uh, James writes, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good and perfect gift comes down from God. Now, these Christians that were receiving this letter were undergoing such difficulty, such affliction, such uh, hardship, that they began to question God's goodness. They began to say, well, isn't it God that is sending us these bad things? Isn't it God that's testing us? And James corrects them and says, not only is God not the author of evil, but God is the one who is the giver of every good and perfect gift that you have ever received or will ever receive because he doesn't change. He's not like the heavenly bodies that move around and are shifting, causing shifting shadows. No, God is stable. God is always the same. He's always the giver of goodness. He's not good one day and mad the next. No, he's, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. It's, his goodness is comprehensive. I always chuckle at athletes that uh, when they hit a home run or score a touchdown, you know, they'll point upward or cross themselves or here in Denver, Neil and Tebow. Uh, it's, it's a little bit humorous because it's somewhat trivial, but at the same time, they're on to something, that every good gift comes from God, and they're acknowledging that, even a touchdown, even a home run. It's a, a small gift, but it's a good gift, and I can learn from that because I too often ignore the little gifts that come my way day to day. I need to be aware of God's comprehensive goodness. Not only is God's goodness comprehensive, it's inclusive. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? That you might be children of your Father in heaven. Because, see, God loves everyone. God loves his friends and God loves his enemies. And he wants us to be like that. Jesus goes on. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? See, God's goodness 
and love and grace rains down on everyone indiscriminately. It's not a little thundercloud of blessing on the good people over here and then drought over here on the bad people. No, it's sin's rain of goodness and grace and love on everyone. And Paul expands on Jesus' idea in Romans 5. He says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, how much more will we be saved by his life? See, the war is over between humanity and God. We're reconciled because of what Jesus has done in his death and resurrection and ascension. All that's left is for us to be saved by his life, to be saved from our self-centeredness, to be saved from anxiety, to be saved from anger and lust and fear. That's what God's goodness is working in us. God doesn't just want us to get to heaven. God wants to get heaven into us. It's, it's, it was never God's idea that heaven was pie in the sky by and by. No, he always intended that heaven would come down, as the song said, and invade earth and overlap and interlock with our life on earth. God wants to share his goodness for all of eternity starting right now. He's not holding that out as a carrot. He's inviting us into that life right now to enjoy his goodness, every person. I was just visiting with a friend the other night, and it we were having this great little theological discussion And it occurred to me, you know, as Protestants, we use this term original sin. And it sort of has colored, I think, in some ways, our, in a overdone sort of a way, our view of ourselves and our view of God. Because original sin is basically humanity's response to God's original blessing. There was first original blessing. God blessed Adam and Eve with everything they could possibly want. And when they doubted God's goodness and tried to take matters into their own hands, things went off the rails. But it began with God's blessing and goodness in the beginning. God's goodness is also unlimited. He who did not spare his own son, in Romans 8, 32, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Think about that for a moment. God made the ultimate sacrifice of giving his son, coming to earth in the person of a human being. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God paid the ultimate price. What would he not give us? What good would he withhold from us when he's given the ultimate gift? And of course, 
what Paul is saying is nothing. God is opening the floodgates of goodness and blessing. And that began with the gift of Jesus. But with him, he will freely give us all things. God is poised. The orientation of his entire being is poised for our good. Some of you are grandparents. As grandparents, we're poised toward the goodness of our grandkids, right? We just, just can't wait to give them something, whatever they want. Want some ice cream? Okay. Want to go play a game? Sure. Cookies? Yeah. We're just ready to give. I was with my grandson a year or so ago and had him for the day, and I was, you know, wanted to do my super papa kind of a thing, and best day ever. So, you know, we stopped and got got a donut, and then we went and played at a park, and we had lunch, and I don't know, he probably got a cookie or something along with lunch, and then we were, went and did something else, and went and got ice cream. About halfway through the ice cream, Charlie said, not this Charlie, I'm not that old, but <laughs> Charlie said, Papa, I think I've had too much sugar. <laughs> but that's, see, God just pours those blessings and his goodness out upon us. Sometimes I think we ought to envision God more as a grandfather than a father. Because he, he's just extravagant. And his goodness is, is unlimited. I had the opportunity several years ago to travel to Ethiopia and uh, teach at an Ethiopian seminary. And the people in the class were pastors. And each of these Ethiopian pastors had suffered for their faith. They had been tortured. They'd been imprisoned by the communist regime. And here they are in my class. <laughs> so, yeah, that's good. I have a lot to teach you. And as the week went on, and I understood their context, that they were dealing, they were pastoring in the midst of starving, orphaned children, in the midst of poverty, in the midst of disease, in the midst of homelessness, in the midst of governmental oppression. And as I heard the stories and their, and their faith and their passion, not, I, not once did I ever hear them question God's goodness. And finally, I couldn't take it any longer. <laughs> and I said, where do you see God in the midst of all of this difficulty, in the midst of all this suffering? And their response was, God is the one who is helping us. God is delivering us. God is loving us. God is in it with us. And I thought, oh, wow, how different than my American perspective. That the first time something bad happens, why me, God? And their perspective was so, so different because they understood the goodness of God. That God was good. God would never send evil. God was there to help, not to rob. 
God's goodness is extravagant. You probably remember the parable of the generous landowner where he, he went into the village to, to get his workers for the day. So at 9 o'clock he gets a group and agrees on a wage, takes them back to the vineyard. Then at noon he goes back to see if there's any others that need work and he grabs that group and goes back. 3 o'clock, same thing. 5 o'clock, same thing. Only a couple of hours left in the work day. Then he's, end of the day, he's paying everybody. Starts with the, the guys that came last at 5 o'clock. They'd only worked a couple of hours. He gives them a full day's pay. I'm sure the guys that showed up at 9 were thinking, all right, it's going to be a bonus. If he paid those guys that, what am I going to get? And they got the same thing. They didn't like it. And so the landowner answered. He says, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want, if I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Are you envious because I am generous? Now, this parable begins with, the kingdom of heaven is like. And that's simply another way Jesus was saying, God is like this. God is like this landowner. He's extravagantly generous. But you know, sometimes, at least if you're anything like me, when someone else appears to be getting that extravagant generosity of God, and I'm just sort of getting the normal generosity of God, I get a little jealous, and I'm like those workers that worked all day, where in reality, every one of us is a five o'clock worker, every one of us. We're getting way more than we could ever deserve, no matter what the appearances look like in terms of what someone else appears to be getting. I have a, a good buddy, and he always likes to say, it's almost like a mantra, I'm Jesus' favorite. And he's not saying that in a way that's arrogant or, because he believes that each one of us are Jesus' favorite. That Jesus treats each one of us as his favorite. That's how incredibly extravagant the goodness of God is. Jan Paderewski was a great composer and pianist. I'm not sure if he's still alive or not. Uh, but he was to perform in a beautiful concert hall. And people were coming, ladies in their evening gowns, men in their tuxedos. And one lady came with her nine-year-old son, who was a piano student. And she was hoping that by watching Paderewski, this little boy would be motivated to practice more. And, uh, you know, good... Good intention, poor execution probably to take a nine-year-old to an event like that because he was squirming all over the place before the concert started, you know, and mom was talking to some of her friends and he sort of slid out of his chair down the aisle to the stage to where there's this beautiful Steinway piano and a stool and he sort of slithers up to the stool and gets on. No one's really noticing what's going on until he starts playing chopsticks. 
And then everything, you know, the audience hushes and chopsticks are going on. And finally someone says, get him off of there. What's going on? Where's his parents? And they kind of start booing and hissing. And, and Paderewski from backstage hears what's going on and he comes onto the stage. He sees the little boy. You kind of wonder, what, what's he going to do? Is he going to reprimand him? Is he going to yank him off the stool? Like, go to your parents. You know what he does? He nestles up beside this little boy who's playing chopsticks. He says, keep going. Don't stop. And then Paderewski starts playing this beautiful melody along with the chopsticks and whispering in the boy's ear, don't stop. Keep going. Don't quit. See, that's, that's God. That's the extravagant goodness of God. When we are playing our chopsticks, trying to be a good parent or a good spouse or a good friend or do well at our job, whatever it might be, we're, we're doing our little chopstick thing and God comes along beside us and whispers in our ear, keep going, don't stop. And then he makes beautiful music out of our paltry little chopsticks. Out of his goodness, he is so good. He does that all the time for us. Finally, God's goodness is unimaginable. Unimaginable. Paul says, to him who is able to do immeasurably immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that has worked is at work within us. Paul just piles on these adjectives. I mean, almost to the point of bad grammar. Uh, because he's trying to say something that really can't even be expressed. It's just the wonder of God's goodness. The message says it like this. God can do anything, you know. Far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. Have you ever experienced God giving you more than you could ever dream or imagine? You would have never even thought to ask or had the gumption to ask, and yet God gives it beyond your wildest dreams. Mark Oppenheimer, who I don't know who that is, but he wrote in the, in the New York Times a great quote. Atheists and agnostics have long tried to rebottle religion, to get the community experience and the good works without the supernatural stuff. See what he's saying? Trying to, in fact, I think there's actually now, uh, I don't know what they call it, but uh, it's a church without God. It's church for people that don't believe in God. So they, they're trying to replicate the experience without the supernatural. Well, then he goes on to say, that whole enterprise has worked as well as non-alcoholic beer. So, you know, it doesn't matter how much non-alcoholic beer you drink, you're not going to get a buzz. And no matter how much you sort of do the externals of religion without 
the Holy Spirit, there's not going to be the buzz of reality in what we're doing. It's the goodness of God that gives substance and life and reality to what we're about on a Sunday morning. So we have to ask the question, why in the world? Why did this become God's strategy to just simply, in an unlimited way, in an extravagant way, in a comprehensive way, just pour out his goodness on us? It's because of what he knew. And Paul expresses in Romans 2.4, he simply said that it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. It's God's kindness, it's God's goodness that leads to radical life change. God, God is pretty smart. He knows that ultimately fear is not a long-lasting motivation for change or the threat of punishment, or simply barking at people, giving you one ought after another. No, what, what wins us over, what transforms us is love and kindness and goodness. God's strategy is to ravish us with his goodness and kindness and love. And gratitude is an indicator in each one of us of how good our God is. There's some people that are, seem to be grateful for everything going on in their life. That kind of a person, I would guess, has a very good image of God, a God who is good. Those of us who are sort of always seeing our glass as half full, maybe feeling a little bit like God's not really coming through for me, our understanding of God's goodness is a little bit less. Gratitude is that indicator. William Law, the wonderful Anglican pastor and theologian in the 18th century, put it this way. He says, if a person does not believe that all the world is as God's family, guided and directed by the care and providence of a being, catch this, that is all love and goodness to all of his creatures. Isn't that beautiful? That God is a being who is all love and all goodness to all of his creatures. If one does not believe from the heart, believe this from the heart, they cannot be truly said to believe in God. So the real God is all goodness and all love toward all creatures. If that's not the God I believe in, then I don't believe in God. Because to say another kind of God is God is, is false. There's only one God, and he's all good and all loving to all of us all the time. And then he goes on to say, as thankfulness is an express acknowledgement of the goodness of God towards you. So grumblings and complaints are as plain accusations of God's lack of goodness towards you. 
On the other hand, would you know who is the greatest saint in the world? It's not the one who prays most or fasts most or gives most alms or is most eminent in virtue. But it's the one who is always thankful to God. That's the great saint. I haven't known many great saints in my life. But one is my friend Lee Huff, who in the midst of battling brain cancer, was able to have this incredible sense of gratitude for God's gifts. I want to just close with reading from his journal. My friends, you and I have had a lot to thank God for in my battle with brain cancer. Thanks that the original brain tumor could be removed via surgery. Thanks that surgery was successful without physical or mental collateral damage. And someone said, God is good. Thanks for getting through months of chemo and radiation last year. And someone said, God is faithful. Thanks for being able to give praise to him on top of Pike's Peak. And someone said, God is loving. Thanks for four post-surgery MRIs of the brain showing that I was cancer-free for over 10 months. And someone said, God is merciful. Beautiful praise, worshipful and right. But the cancer is back. Now what? Before I find out on February 15th whether the cyber knife and chemo have killed this new cancer or not, I want to answer that question. So again, the cancer is back. Now what? Whether I'm healed of cancer in this life or not, God is good. Whether I'm healed of cancer in this life or not, God is faithful. Whether I'm healed of cancer in this life or not, God is merciful. Whether I'm healed of cancer in this life or not, God is loving. This is what I believe. This is my confession. This is the true north of Paulo's and my faith. Six months after he wrote this, Lee died. But as the closer he got to his physical death, the more grateful he became. The more he radiated Jesus, the more Jesus was real to him. His God was good, even in the midst of his battle with, losing battle with brain cancer. He is a good God, better than we can dream, who comes not to rob us, but to help us. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you come to help. You come to us to bless. You come to us to heal. You come to us to transform. You come to us to provide. You come to us to give us fullness of life and joy and peace. You come to us to love us. 
Lord, give us grace to receive your goodness. Take the the blinders off of our eyes so that we can clearly see your goodness and your love and your generosity toward us every day. In the great name of Jesus, amen.